Father, as it says in your word, we now want to come before you and continue to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. We do that because we know that you are worthy of any sacrifice we could bring. And God, we know that as we come to you, that you transform us. So we pray, God, that you would do your wonderful work of transformation in us. Even now, right now, God, as we open your word, would you fill us with the Holy Spirit, strengthen us, and and make us into the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're continuing our walk through the book of Romans here at Cornerstone. We're in chapter 12. And last last Sunday, which was actually two Sundays ago, uh, we looked at a passage in Romans 12 where there are 20-some pieces of advice to follow. And my sermon title for that sermon was called Love Advice. And the idea is, if you want to love people and love God, here are some things that we should be doing. Now, today's passage is similar in many ways. I think there are nine commands or pieces of advice in this passage. But it's a little bit different because when it was 20 in the last passage, the, there was like this whole wide array of topics. And did you notice how it kind of felt like, well, what does this one have to do with that one? And it kind of felt like it might have been all over the place. But today's passage is all about one topic. And it, that one topic is how to respond to evil. So I've entitled my sermon today, as you can see, Enemy Advice. It's advice from God about how we should treat and love our enemies. Now, I want to start out my sermon today by showing you two very different examples of how we could respond when somebody does something evil to us or acts as our enemy. Now, the first one is an example of how not to respond to evil, and I think you'll recognize these three guys when you see them. All right, can you see them? Larry, Moe, and Curly, the three students. Okay. Um, Many, I'm, most of you in here probably know who the Three Stooges are. If you don't know who the Three Stooges are, they're a comedy gang. They have lots of movies and TV shows. And what always happens is that these guys just, they get on each other's nerves. And when something bad happens to one of them, they always have to turn around and do something bad to the other person next to them. It's just, you know, it's kind of funny to watch, but at the same time, I mean, look at the guy. He's pulling Curly's hair and he's grabbing Moe's throat. And, uh, so I want to set a scene for you here. This, I don't think that this is an actual Three Stooges scene, but you, you'll get the point. So let's say that Larry has in mind to paint a wall. And he's walking towards that wall with a ladder in one hand and a can of paint in the other hand. And, and he turns around with the ladder suddenly, and he hits Curly in the face with it. And Curly, does he just say, oh, I know that was an accident, let me forgive you. Has anybody ever heard the word forgive in the Three Stooges? I don't think they know that word. What, it, what does Curly do? Or the guy got hit in the face, he turns around and slaps the first guy in the face. And, and as he gets slapped in the face, he turns around with the ladder, he hits the other guy with the ladder. And he's mad about it, he picks up the can of paint and throws it at the one guy, hits the other guy, and just on and on and on. And, you know, somebody grabs the nose and does the nook, nook, nook thing, or whatever it is, and and then they break out their, their main weapon. You know what it is? The, the two-finger eye gouge. <laughs> I was thinking about that, yeah, and the block, yeah. But uh, I was thinking about the eye gouge. Can you imagine if in real life you went up to somebody and put your two fingers out and gouged them in? I think that you would go to jail for doing that. But like, that was just common practice in the three... That's how they lived their lives. It was just always a matter of returning tit for tat and more and more and more and escalating and escalating until they're all covered with paint and their eyes are bruised and I don't even know how it ends. They just maybe get tired of beating on each other. But that, that's one way. In fact, 
sadly, that is an all too common way to respond to evil. And, and let me say that by, first of all, talking to kids. Kids, I want you to picture two kids, maybe it's in your school or two kids that you know, or maybe it's even you and your brother or your sister. Let's say that one kid does something wrong to the other kid. Oftentimes, what does that second kid do? They turn around and they try to be mean back, right? And kids, was it your parents that taught you to do that? Did your parents tell you if somebody hits you, you should hit them back? Did your, pa- your parents didn't tell you that? Then why? Why is it that every single kid that I've ever known, including myself, has always responded that way? Well, I think the simple answer is that that's what it means for us to have a sinful nature or, or flesh like the Bible describes it. But then adults, we're not off the hook either. Um, We may be better at hiding our evil responses than kids are, but is it any better for us to respond with a verbal attack? Is it any better for us to, to turn a cold shoulder to somebody? Is it any better for us to go to one of our other friends and gossip and slander about the other person that just did something wrong to us? You see, it is a natural response for us when something evil is done to us for us to respond with more evil. And again, maybe it's not the three stooges kind of evil that will land you in jail, but maybe it's just as caustic. So hopefully we're not doing this, you know, hopefully we're not poking each other in the eyes and grabbing each other's hair and doing stuff like that. But more than that, I would hope that we would have learned a better response. So I want to show you a better example of how to respond to evil like Jesus did. Jesus never hit back. In fact, he's the one who taught us in Matthew 5.39, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And then just a few verses later in Matthew 5.44, Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And that's such wonderful advice. We're commanded to love, and one of the first questions I would have is, how in the world am I supposed to love my enemies? And Jesus answers it for us. We can pray for them. Prayer has a wonderful way of, of changing our hearts. So if you have somebody who is acting as an enemy towards you, I would just highly encourage you to pray for that person. Pray that they would know Jesus. Pray for even God's blessings on them as they follow Jesus. But you can also pray for your own heart to be changed in this. We can pray that we would become more like Christ as we deal with our enemies. And then there's two more verses I want to show you about Jesus. And I love these verses, not just because of the example that Jesus set in teaching us how to deal with evil, but because they lead right into the gospel message about forgiveness. Look at these verses from 1 Peter 2, 23 and 24. When they hurled their insults at him, at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Imagine if Jesus fought back instead of trusting God to judge justly. You know what that would mean? For us, it would mean eternal condemnation. The cross was God's plan to take care of evil. And Jesus entrusted himself to the one who judged justly and therefore he did not retaliate. We have a lot to learn from that example. To retaliate is to return blow for blow. But we're called to something different. We're called to love our enemies. And, and it's amazing how often we see the, the 
other pattern. I, I just want to mention this again. You ever notice how many movies or TV shows are based on the theme of retaliation? Think about this. Think about some movies that maybe you've even watched recently where there's a supposed good guy who you see at the beginning of the movie something bad happens to him and then the whole rest of the movie is spent where this good guy tries to get the bad guy back. Do you ever find yourself cheering for retaliation in those scenes? You know, it, we have to be real careful with that. And actually, just a little side note here, I think we need to be careful about the kind of stuff we watch. Because every time we watch things like that, we're training ourselves to retaliate. Where instead, I think that we should be filling our minds with, with things that are good. So I'm, I'm not against movies, but I am against some movies. And I think that we need to be careful about what we let in. Not training ourselves to retaliate. Instead, like we're going to see in today's passage, we should respond with peace and goodness. Now, some of you might be wondering, well, hey, wait a second. Uh, isn't there supposed to be justice? And, and let me give another quick side note here. Our passage next Sunday will deal with how to, how to turn people over to the proper legal authorities for justice. So yes, there is a God-ordained way where if somebody does something wrong to you, for us to turn them over to the authorities. But what our passage today is talking about is our personal relationships and how are, to we, how are we to respond personally when evil is done to us. And one of the key things is that there, there's a big difference between us responding with evil and turning people over to the courts for them to be punished. And the big difference is that we are not the judge, uh, nor are we the jury or the executioner. So it's a, it's a big difference to remember, and we will talk about uh, a different angle on this next week. Uh, but today we're going to look at God's word for us in dealing with our enemies. And I want to read our passage, Romans 12, 17 through 21. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So we're going to look at this passage today in three parts. And in each part, I want to show you a reason not to repay evil with evil. And our first one is from the first two verses. We are not to repay evil with evil because we should live in peace. We should live in peace. Verse 17 starts out saying, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. And I think that's the main phrase in here. I think everything else is kind of built off of this phrase. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, it's so easy for us to want to respond to evil with evil. It's so natural for us to get caught up in that cycle of, of evil and retaliation. You ever seen this in, in your relationships or other relationships that you've watched? There's just this ongoing cycle of more and more and usually escalating evil and wickedness and retaliation. A very simple question here. Who wants to live like that? Is that the life that you would choose for yourself where you, you keep on, you think that you're going to get the other person back, but they think that they're going to get you back and it just keeps going and going and going. Is that the life you want? If not, then let's choose not to repay evil with evil. We're told in the next part, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. The phrase be careful there is perhaps better translated as give thought or consider how, meaning that we are to use our minds and here's, Great piece of application here. Stop and think. 
I, I want you to look back at some arguments that you've had, whether that was a recent one that you had or one long ago. I want you to think how it could have gone differently if you would have just stopped and thought about a reasonable way to handle that. But too often we don't do that. Too often we just let our, our instincts take over and we retaliate. And, and let me ask you this. Does it usually bring about righteousness? Does it usually bring about peace? I would say, from my experience, almost never does it bring about peace. So do not repay anyone evil for evil. Instead, give thought to how you can respond with peace. So we need to train ourselves. We need to train ourselves before we get into these situations to train ourselves to think rightly and to respond rightly. We need to train ourselves to stop. I mean, that... That can be just one of the most powerful words that you have at your disposal in an, in an argument is just stop. Let's think about this. And then it also says that we are to seek to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Now that's a high standard, a very high standard I would say, uh, but that's what we're supposed to do. And I would say that it's not just including the people around us, I would say it's also to do what's right in the eyes of God. That, that we are to seek to do what is right. Now, as we're seeking to do what's right and we're seeking to live at peace, it, it may not be possible because there's another party involved. And verse 18 tells us that very thing. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Some people will not want to live at peace with us. Some people will not train themselves to respond with goodness to evil. And it may, be, it may honestly be impossible to live at peace with them. But what it says here, as far as it depends on you, so we are to do our part. We are to be peacemakers. And if somebody doesn't want to live at peace with you, you know, there, there's lots of reasons. One reason that they may not want to live at peace with you is because of the gospel. There, there might be some people out there who know that you love Jesus and therefore are just going to continue to be your enemies. Not that you would see them that way, but that they may see you that way. But let's do what we can. Let's choose to respond with love, even if we're treated poorly. And the application here, just very, very simple. Choose peace. And yes, it is a choice that you can make. I think a lot of people in this world would say, how can you choose peace when somebody is mad at you, somebody does evil to you? Don't you have to respond that? Well, no. We do not have to respond that way. We can choose peace. And you know what? That might mean that you lose some arguments, or rather that you choose not even to enter into some arguments. But I think it's wise to choose peace. You see, we're not animals. We don't have to respond with what they call animal instincts. We don't have to do that. We can choose to live the rest of our lives in peace instead of unrest. Doesn't that sound nice? Uh, for some of you, maybe you're in patterns or habits of, of fighting, of arguing. Did you know that you can choose to live in peace? I just say if you're stuck in that bad habit, that bad pattern, talk to God about it and let him transform you and give you that peace so that you can choose to respond with good to evil. The three stooges live in constant unrest. And, you know, um, the reason that they're so good at that, I, you know, when the two fingers come at them, they put their hand up to the... Because they're used to it. Like if somebody came up to me with their two fingers out, I probably wouldn't expect that they were going to do it. But the three stooges just live in this constant battle. It's the life that they have chosen. And I'm just here to suggest that we can choose a different kind of life, a life of peace. 
Let's move on now to verses 19 through 20. I'll read them again. They say, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. So my second point today is that we are not to repay evil with evil because God will repay. Now we're told here not to take revenge. And the word revenge is built off of the word for justice or righteousness. And and you may very well be thinking, hey, wait a second, aren't justice and righteousness good things? Shouldn't we seek those? Well, yes, we should. But there's one really important thing that we need to remember, something I've already mentioned. We're not the judge. So there is a judge who will give the verdict, who will make sure that there is righteousness, but that judge is not us. And it's good that we're not the judge for a lot of reasons. One reason, because we're not perfect. So praise the Lord, we don't have to be the judge. There's another reason that it's good that we're not the judge in these situations when evil happens to us. And it's actually something that happens pretty regularly in our world. Uh, Oftentimes in our world, a judge will have to recuse him or or herself from a case. You know what that word means? To recuse? Um, So I want you to uh, picture a story here. Let's picture there's a criminal and he has stolen something from somebody and he's going to go to trial. Well, let's say that the person who had something stolen from him was the son of the judge. Now, that judge should recuse herself from the case because her emotions could very well cloud her legal decision. And she should just step back and say, I am not fit to judge this case because that's my son. I'm I'm just going to step back and let somebody else do it. And I I think that's actually a really great picture for us, to to recuse ourselves. All too often we think that we know what justice is and how we, we step into that revenge. But what we should do is we should recuse ourselves and say, you know what? God is going to repay, so I don't have to. He's the perfect judge. He sees everything. He will judge wisely. We leave judgment to him. Now, some of us might be concerned about that and say, hey, wait a second. If somebody does something wrong to me, I I want to know for sure that they're going to get what they deserve. Well, look at this. Romans 14, 12. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. That means that every single one of us will it also means the people who do evil to us will have to give account of themselves to God. So we can entrust that God will take care of it with perfect righteousness. He will take care of things. And we don't need to worry about it. And that should give us peace. It can give us peace because we realize we don't have to be the ones to repay. We should not be the ones to repay. God will do that on his timing. That evil deserves to be punished, but by God on his timing. And again, next Sunday we will look at a a legal route for us to take that's different than what we're talking about in our personal relationships. I'll just ask you to read ahead or hold your breath, whichever one you choose on that. Um, Then verse 20. It's quoting from Proverbs 25. We're told not just to overlook offenses, but to actually go the extra mile and to be good to our enemies. If they're hungry or thirsty, we should help meet that need. And boy, that is counterintuitive, isn't it? Somebody does something wrong to you and then they're hungry, here you go, here's some food. That, every step of the way is against the the fiber of the sinful nature. 
why would the Bible teach us to be good to our enemies? I think it has to do with how God treated us when we were his enemies. I keep coming back to this point in Romans. Maybe some of you have heard me say this now like five or six times, but I just think it's so important in the flow of Romans to understand that we were once dead in our sins and then from there to understand that God responded to us in love. In Romans 5, there's this powerful verse. It says, For if when we were God's enemies, think about that, We were enemies of God by our thoughts, by our choices, by our actions. We had actually set ourselves, every single one of us, opposed to God. But look what happened. When we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So one reason that we should be good to our enemies is because God was good to us when we were his enemies. And that's at the heart of the gospel. We're sinners and God loved us and sent Jesus for us. And since that's how God loved his enemies, that's the kind of love then that we should show to our enemies. And hopefully, what I would say is that that kind of love that we show for our enemies will help them see the love of God and that they would repent and come to know God, put their faith in Christ as well. Wouldn't that be awesome if God used you to help your enemies come to know Jesus? What a a powerful witness that would be. And then the last part of verse 20 says, in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. This is one uh, one of those verses in the Bible that I'm just not exactly sure which way to take it. Uh, There are two common ways that people take this verse, and I'm just going to kind of put both of them before you right now, and I'll tell you which one I land on at the end. Uh, But the first way to look at this verse, and this one is the most popular among modern commentators, is that the point of the burning coals is to aid the process of repentance. So here's how it works. Our enemies are mean to us, but we're nice to them, and hopefully that causes them to stop and consider what they're doing, and hopefully then they repent and they put their faith in God. So the coals then become a sign of their shame leading towards repentance. And if we have any part in you know, putting those burning coals on their head, we don't do it out of anger or we don't delight in it. Uh, we do it because we want them to repent and to come to know Jesus. We're trying to win them over. Now, the other way to view this verse is that the coals are a sign of God's judgment. And in this view, we do good to our enemies and in doing so, we trust that God will judge them. And our acts of kindness then can serve for them. Perhaps you think about them on judgment day. Maybe God has this conversation with them where he says to them, look how you treated your enemy with evil and then look how your enemy treated you with kindness. That's the way that you were supposed to live and maybe God uses that as a way to judge them. Now I kind of favor that second view because I kind of think that burning coals on the head sounds like judgment to me more so than than shame. Uh, But anyways, but in support of the first view, I would say that the rest of the Bible is very clear that one of the reasons that we're to love our enemies is so that the gospel message can go forth to them. So I think that there's some some validity in that view to say that we we want our enemies to come to know Jesus. Uh, Because we all know that judgment is coming. I, I hope you know that at least. God has set a day. It is called Judgment Day. And we're going to have to give account for what we've done. And on that day, there are only two possibilities for where the punishment for our sin will land. It will either land on us or on Jesus. Now, I hope you're with me 
in saying that, that you want it to land on Jesus. Not because we want to punish Jesus, but because he already died for us. In his love, again, when we were enemies, Christ died for us. He already did that. The response that we should have to that is to say, yes, I accept that gift of forgiveness and life that you give to me, Jesus. That should be the way that we respond. Otherwise, if we don't respond like that, judgment falls on us. Okay, so wrapping up these verses, here's an application point. We are to love our enemies and let God judge evil. And again, we're talking about personal relationships. We are to choose to love enemies and let God judge evil. And that's hard sometimes because we have to wait for judgment to come then. In our human nature, we often want that judgment to come right now. But we're told here to wait for God to judge. Okay, and then the third um, point is that we are not to repay evil with evil because we should seek to do good. Verse 21 says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So I like this verse because we're not just told to be neutral, you know, Switzerland. Uh, We're told that we are to go the extra mile and to overcome evil with good. And again, we have a choice. We can choose good even in response to evil. And you know what the alternative is? The alternative is that we would be overcome by evil. So evil is going to happen to us. We have a choice. We can either respond with good or we can be overcome by evil. Now, evil people, it's kind of interesting, evil people can't overcome us, but if we choose evil, then we can be overcome by evil. So be careful in how you respond, and what we're told here is to respond with good. And this gets at a huge part of what it means for us to be followers of Christ. As followers of Christ, we are supposed to learn increasingly the difference between good and evil. And when we see it, we are to choose good. It's called discernment, and it's a huge part of what it means to follow Christ. Becoming more like him. Understanding from God's view what is good and what we should embrace and what is evil and what we should flee from. And honestly, this is what so many people in the world lack in, in regard to difficult relationships or even just in regard to personal decisions that they make. So many people lack discernment. And I just encourage you, if you feel like you lack discernment, pray for it. Pray for wisdom to know the difference between good and evil. The way of this world is to respond with evil to evil. And again, if if Larry Moe or Curly or whoever it is does something evil to you, so often we want to do evil back to them. But we're called to respond with good. And I think one of the, the key points that I want to get across to you today is that this is a choice. It is a choice to respond with good. Uh, if you watch the animal world around us, you know, turn on Animal Planet or watch your, watch your dogs fight or whatever, you would see something different. But we are not animals. We were made in the image of God. And what that means is that we can choose good. And I think we have a responsibility to choose good. It's, it's not the animals who are said to sit before the judgment seat of God. It's humans who are made in His image. So we have a responsibility to choose what is good. How do you do in those situations when evil comes to you? How do you do? I hope that you're learning increasingly more and more to choose what is good. 
And that choice needs to be a lifelong commitment that we make. Choosing to respond with love and goodness. Because that's how God responds to us. So there's enough evil. Let's choose to respond with good. And and again, kind of like I asked before, do you want more evil in your life? If so, I I have a tip for you. If you want more evil, the next time somebody does something evil to you, respond with evil. Because guess what? It's probably going to come back to you. And then you can respond again. And it'll keep going. If you want that kind of life filled with evil, go ahead and respond with evil. If not, train yourself, commit yourself to choose good. Um, Quick illustration here. I, I often use my basketball playing as an illustration because it's such an interesting social experiment for me and it's so interesting to me how sometimes I can respond poorly. Now, I'm really working on this. I really am. And I feel like God is giving me more grace and, and strengthening me in this area. But I can look back at some times where, um, you know, let's say somebody followed me and, I'm, and they didn't call it. We're our own referees there. And, uh, it, it's, there have been times where I've responded by arguing and saying, hey, you know, this went wrong and you didn't call it, so we need to do that. And usually what happens is we waste time arguing about it, and then one person wins the argument. But what I've noticed is that even if I win the argument, I've damaged the relationship. I, you know, and it, it's funny too. Now as I watch other people do this, I watch, I watch the other like seven people on the court, and they're just frustrated. Like, come on, stop arguing. It's ridiculous. Nobody needs to do this. Let's just move on. And then those two people who argued, they, you know, they don't talk to each other for the rest of the day or the rest of the week or whatever. And I've just decided I, I want to value the relationship. So yes, that means that sometimes I don't get my way. And you know what? Sometimes. Husbands and wives, when you have a disagreement, maybe it means you don't get your way. Maybe you don't fight for it. Maybe your spouse is fighting for their way, but you choose to stop and to do good. And hopefully in that, you can show that you value the relationship more than you value your own desires. So let's learn to keep our anger in check. That anger is natural, but it is not right It comes from the sinful nature or the flesh and we must not choose that. So we are to choose what is good. But here's another key point here. If we're going to choose what is good, I'm not just asking you to look within yourself and find goodness in there. If we're going to choose good, where does that goodness come from? It comes from God. Remember Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit? There are nine things listed there that God wants to produce in us and one of them is goodness. The same exact word that we're studying today is what God wants to do in us. But remember how that passage works in Galatians 5? Who is it that produces those good things in us, like love and joy and goodness? It's God who produces them. The commands in that passage are that we would live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. But God is the one then who produces those things in us. So if you want more goodness in your life, don't just start with trying to be good. Start with looking up to God seeking him and asking him to transform you. Because remember, Romans 12, 2, it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It says, be transformed because you don't transform yourself. God transforms you. It happens by the renewing of your mind, meaning as you seek him, as you offer yourself to him as a living sacrifice, he will change you. So if you don't have all the goodness in you that you want, seek God and trust him to provide it in you. He'll help. He'll give us all that we need. So application point, I'll put it up here. Keep seeking God. He will transform you and fill you with goodness.
And in my conclusion here today, God transforms us so we can see our enemies differently. God loves our enemies. Did you know that? Those people that maybe you hate, God loves them, and we should love them too. Don't follow this world pattern or, or, or the pattern of the three stooges. Keep seeking God and let him transform you. Here's a neat verse from Proverbs 19.11. A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. Isn't that great? When somebody does something wrong to you, you can be patient and you can overlook it. It is to your glory. And just a newsflash here, you will continue to have people do evil to you and offend you. How are you going to respond? Are you going to respond like the world and live in more unrest and evil? It, it, again, it's, it's just so... When I think about it this way, it's just so clear and, and so shocking that we would choose evil. Why would we choose to live like the Three Stooges? When we can choose to respond like Jesus did and live in peace. Goodness and love are things that God will give us as we keep seeking him. And praise the Lord, he is good and loving to us. So let's let that goodness and love overflow to those around us, even to our enemies. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the love that you have shown to us, even while we, while we were your enemies. We thank you that you sent Jesus to die for us. Thank you for that forgiveness of sins and the reconciliation, meaning that we can be brought back into a relationship with you, God. God, we pray that we would use that as a model for our relationships with those around us who hate us or do evil or wicked things to us or are our enemies. God, help us to love them and to choose to respond with goodness and love and peace. But God, we know that those things don't come from us, they come from you. So help us to remember to keep seeking you. And as we seek you, God, would you transform us to make us more like Christ, that we can respond like he did to his enemies. So God, we love you, we thank you for your love for us, and we thank you for how you transform us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.